Well, welcome. I'm glad to, to see you all. Just feel free to grab a spot if you're still looking for one, and feel free to grab some food if you have a... Because I know some of you just came from work and you're probably starving, so feel free to, to, to do that. Well, first of all, what I want to start with, at the very end of your notebook, there are um, some a page that if you'll just turn to it for a quick second... And I want you to look at, um, it's actually page 94 of your notebook. It's, and so it's the last numbered page. So that there are the different resources that I use to bring this about. There's the Simeon Trust Workshop. And if you look up on the screen, um, that's their webpage. And this is designed actually... Um, it's twofold. It helps equip pastors to take a book and dig out of what's in a book and then to be able to preach from a pulpit expositorily, so one after the other, the verse, and teaching it in such a way. Um, if you go to Desert Springs, that's how Ryan does it. And uh, so you're actually going to learn a lot of the tools that pastors use to get into a book to then teach to, a, to others. Well, there's a lot of prep work that goes into that before you, he ever even preaches. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to do all that prep work of what it takes to get into a book and get out of a book what's in that book. And as far as teaching, we're not going that far. And, and, um, but that's one of the resources that I used. And then there's two other resources, a book called Digging Deeper, Tools for Understanding the Word, and one-to-one um, -one, um, the... Um, uh, Bible study, following the words, um, the ways of the word. Some of these are some books that I've taken some stuff out of, added to this, and tweaking this material so that it works for our format and for what we're going to do. So, just wanted to give credit where credit is due because um, no original idea begins with me. <laughs> Believe me, I I learned from those that uh, have spent hours in 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 doing that kind of thing. And so um, the, um, we're going to just go ahead and get right on into the lecture. So if you turn to page five in your notebook, you will find um, an outline. And the outline is you can use to follow what I'm about to say. And, um, and so why don't we um, dig into this? So this first lesson is, is the Bible. What is it and how should we approach it? Well... We're, you're here because you're interested in studying the Bible. You, you want to know. Maybe how, how do you do that? Um, perhaps you've never done it. Perhaps you're well-versed in inductive study, and you just want to add a few more tools to your tool belt. Um, maybe you just want to practice it. But there's a reason why you come in order to, to gleam and to learn. And, and we come because we believe that God's Word has something for us. And... And, and that's almost like an itching word in the back of our mind, like, does it, does it really do something for me? Is it, is it really effective in my life? And, and I want to kind of talk to that today, because we do hear that God's word can speak into our lives. Just come on in, hon, and just find a spot. And, um, and that it will evidence its ability to speak into our lives. And... Um, we want to come with a standpoint with that understanding that God's word, it really does affect our hearts and our mind. 
And then we go to it, believing that it's going to do something because we spent time in it. So my hope today is to give you something to think on and to put into action, to see in Scripture that God has authority over the Son and that the Son has authority over the church. And the question is, do, do we let God have authority over our life? Do we let his word be a voice that speaks into our life? In 1 Corinthians 11.3 it says, But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is, is the head of Christ. There's a divine order that God has set up. And, and Christ submitted himself to the authority of the Father. Well, we come to Bible study to study it with an attitude that the Bible is an authoritative word in our life. And it is meant to be read with a heart ready to listen and a heart ready to submit to it. So my hope is that what I'm about to say will help position all of us to submit to the Bible, to have God's word be that authority um, in our life. So what is the Bible? Well, the Bible is a book that is dual in nature. It's a divine book because it is spoken by God, and thus it is true and relevant. And it's a human book. It's written by people long ago, and therefore it has, in some sense, it's kind of dated. And so we'll, we'll discuss these two um, dual factors of the Bible. And so we're going to start with um, the Bible being a divine book. So let's, let's look at that. The Bible is a divine book because God has spoken, and it is written in a book. And this spoken word of God, he speaks and things happen. He spoke in creation, and things were created. And God can speak through here, straight to here, and accomplish great things. In 2 Peter verses one, uh, chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, says, but, first, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture was ever spoken by, how does it go? But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but man, moved by the Spirit, spoke from God. And so that tells us that God used man to write down his exact thoughts, and they penned them accurately. He made it clear that he spoke this word. This, every, every word in this book is spoken by God. It was written down by man to give us everything that we need, that we need to live in this created world. And 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the men of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That word, breathe out, that's, that's not typically a word that we'll use, right? It's, it's not a word that, um, you know, other translations translate it, um, spoke. But did you know that you can't actually speak a word without breathing at the same time? Try it. Try, try to say a word, but don't breathe. It, it, it won't happen. It won't work. So it's cool to see that, in, that, that God's words flowed from his breath. 
Well, Jesus, while on the earth, made it clear that the apostles who were eyewitnesses were to write down and to speak for him after he left. John fifteen twenty seven says, And you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. So he's telling that these apostles are going to testify about him. They're going to speak things. In John seventeen twenty, he says in his high priestly prayer, excuse me, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. The apostles would accomplish these writings by the help of the Holy Spirit and would make known what Jesus wanted to be made known. And, and it was not only for, those, for that time period, but it's, it's for us too, because we believe. And then John sixteen twelve through 14 says, Jesus is quoted saying, I have many things, many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. So Jesus is already saying that the Holy Spirit is going to come, and he's going to help these men to write down and to say and to testify all the things that God wants them to do. Can you imagine Jesus saying, you're, you're going to testify for me. You're, you're going to write down these things for me. You'd be like, oh, but what if I can't remember? But, you know, that's where the Holy Spirit comes in and supernaturally has these men write down his thoughts, his words. So there are four implications that come from the idea that the Bible is a divine book. And the first implication is, is that the Bible is alive and not dead history. And that, that is a huge thing because this is the only book that you can read and it can penetrate. You can go and you can pick up a history book and you can read and it can inform you about some things. And it won't directly affect your heart and your mind like this can. And the Bible being God's word, we can know that God is actually speaking to us through it. And he is alive. His spirit is alive. And therefore, his word remains alive. In First Peter 1, 23, it says, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. So again, God's word is living. It endures. Hebrews 4, 12. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So God's word can go and help you to see things you don't even realize about yourself and help you to, to discern things and to get a right perspective. And, and it, it can accomplish so much. So God's word comes to us with the intent on working on our hearts and in our thoughts and to point out that they, our hearts and our mind, need to become more and more in line with his. And so as we begin to see how God thinks and we can evaluate, hmm, I don't quite think that way. I always thought this, but God's word says this. I wonder who's right. And, and so we, we, we line ourselves with truth. So only by faith do we know that God's word will actually do these things. It's, you know, in Hebrews passage there, it talks about it being a sword. 
it, it cuts. It cuts both ways in the sense that it cuts to remove, and it can cut and put in. It, it can graft in what is right and good and pure, and it can become part of that heart in such a way that it affects it and changes it. And so we, we trust in that reality that, this, that God's word can do this kind of work. We, we go to it expecting it to do a work in our heart, in our life. And this work is supernatural. It happens by the power of the Holy Spirit, who was the one who inspired the words that God had him, had these men write. So God's word is powerful, and it makes dramatic claims because it can fulfill those dramatic claims. God intends for it to accomplish something. And so we go to the word seeking to see what God will accomplish. Paul, in his teaching, just before the scripture where, God, where we talked about God breathed, 2 Timothy in 3.15, right before 3.16, it says he was saying to Timothy that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. It's an amazing thing that in re- even in reading the Bible, God's spirit can lead people to understand and receive salvation in Christ. And so the goal of Bible study is to come to know this God who speaks. And that first comes through salvation. We, we want to know God. We want to um, be one of his children. And we'll get to that more in a minute. Well, there's a second implication that we're going to go to now. And the second, second implication that flows from the Bible, being a divine book, is that the Bible is true and doesn't make mistakes. So this is our approach to the word, and this mindset is so crucial. If we don't see this as truth, but just relevant material, you're not going to come to it with it being an authoritative word in your life. And so we want to come to God's word knowing that God would only give us truth, for that is who he is. In Titus 1-2, it says that God does not lie. That's a great statement that we can bank on. And um, in John seventeen seventeen, it says, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So if you want to know what's true, you go here. This, this is your measuring stick. This, this is the book. This is the material, the, the words that determines what is, what is true and what is not true. And so this becomes our measuring stick by which all other things are, are measured. And since God's word is alive and it's active and it's powerful and trustworthy, we know then it's also a sufficient word. It's, it's a word that, that provides everything that we need. It, it, it comes to us to help us live in this, this broken world. In Second Peter 1, 3 through 4, it says, God's divine, divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, who called us by his own glory and excellence, by which he granted to us his precious and very good promises. So there you have it. You have God's word, his Holy Spirit, bringing you everything that you need in life and in godliness. And godliness tells you what kind of life you're going to live. And so it does. It, It can speak to everything that you're dealing with. The third implication that flows from the Bible being a divine book is that we can understand the word of God only by the spirit of God. 
And Paul makes it clear that we need God's Spirit to understand God's Word. So consider the following verses from 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 through 12. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So we need the Holy Spirit who inspired the word in the first place to help us to understand the word of God. And Christians have the Holy Spirit living in them, whereas nonbelievers do not and therefore may not be able to fully understand this. But God in his wisdom will use the word to magnify the gospel. And so a non-believer can read the Bible and, and, and God can bring salvation. And as a Christian, you cry out to the Holy Spirit. God, help me to understand. Help me to see what's in here. And so we, we have to pray. And in, in 2 Timothy 2.7, it talks about, Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So as you study this, you're considering the words on that page. You're considering, what is it saying? Why is it saying that? Who is he talking to? Why is he saying that? What's happening in this, in this, this, this church? Why would it be pertinent to me? There are things to consider, and, and that's what my hope is, that through these tools and these principles, it will give you things that you can take to the Scriptures to ask those kind of questions and find what the Scriptures have to say in response to them. And so, as we consider the Word, we're going to pray. We're going to pray before we even open the book. We're going to pray and ask God to give us understanding when we don't understand. We're going to pray when we understand a truth and we get a tidbit, and we're going to thank Him. Thank you, God, I didn't see that before. And and then we're going to pray, give me more, that I might see and behold the wonderful things that are in this Word. I want to see. I want to know. And, and so we're, we're constantly looking and praying and asking and looking and praying and asking. And, and, we, and we get to become dependent on what God can do. But we don't lay there, do, 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 do. And we don't open it. No, there, it, it's a dual thing. Understanding comes because you're digging into it, but mostly because God is answering your cries. In Psalm 119, 130, the psalmist praises God that the unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I love that verse because I'm so simple-minded. And it's just wonderful that, you know, I don't have to be a rocket scientist to to understand some things. God God can help me understand things that, that could be way above me. And so God's word can bring light. It can bring understanding, and it's by the power of the Spirit. So it's encouraging to know that when we approach the Scripture in a humble dependence on God, the Holy Spirit is positioning us in a posture to learn and to walk in the way and understandings of God's and what he said. Listen to Nehemiah 8, 1 through 3. All the people gathered as one man at the square 
which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra, their scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday. How about we read God's word till night to midnight tonight? <laughs> so he's reading it from morning to midday in the presence of, God, of men and women, those who could understand. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So this is what's going on. They're hearing God's word because they only had this one and all the people come to listen to it and to, to glean from it. And then there becomes this response. In verse 12, it says that all the people went away to eat and to drink, to send portions and to celebrate a great festival because they understood the words that had been made known to them. So joy, a satisfaction in what God has to reveal can be a response that will come as a result of spending time in his word. It, and it's an amazing thing to have your heart satisfied and to have joy spring up because of what's being said here. That, that is an amazing thing. And, and so look for that to happen as, as you un, unfold God's word. Well, the last thing, or the fourth implication of the Bible being God's word, comes from remembering who God is. So the fourth implication is, what God says goes. Well, he is the supreme Lord and king of the universe. He is the one in charge. And given that, it should be obvious that what he says goes. This implies authority, and, and therefore God has the right to say what is true and to demand obedience. So we study the Bible with the respect for the words, meaning that we give careful attention to the words is one of the most helpful and pr practical steps in inductive Bible study. It's observing these words. These words mean things, and they're there for a reason. Every, every word in a verse reveals something. And even though you may not see that as you go through this study in this book, you'll, you'll see some words. And, and you rejoice in what you can, can learn. That's what's so wonderful about studying a book. If it's been a book that you've already studied, guess what? You can learn more. God will bring another level of understanding. And, and he'll just keep unfolding truth and what these words are tr trying to, to say as you continue to persevere, as you read it and, and study it. So as Christians, we want to live with God in charge of us. In practice, that means living in submission to the words of Scripture, listening to Jesus' voice, following him in all that he says is really a matter of instinct. In John 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And so on one sense, we have an instinction that's kind of dwelling up within us to want to be in the word, to, to want to study it. But we also live in a broken world marred by sin. And so our sinful nature will rise up and say, no, you don't want to do that. Let's, let's go watch TV. Let's, let's, let's go do this instead. And, and so there's this spiritual battle going on. The last thing Satan wants you to do is to be in the word of God and believing that it's true and that it can, can 
bring you closer to God and give you understanding of how to live in this life that would honor God. And so there will be a spiritual battle going on. And so again, we pray, God, help me. Help me to, to continue to come to your word. Help me to, to get there. Help me to find something when I'm there. Help, cause it to satisfy my heart. We, we just continue to pray and to fight the battle that, that you're going to find. And Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So you may, may want to be in God's word. That's what you please to do. But you're going to have a sinful nature that's going to raise up, and it's going to fight against that desire, that, that God-honoring desire to be in the word of God. And, and it's going to try and hijack you to do something other than study. And, and so if it happens, you confess it. Confess it as sin and you thank God that you don't live under condemnation and you ask him to help you to, to do better the next day. And, and you go right back to, the, to, to going into God's word. You don't beat yourself up. You, you just know and understand that it's a spiritual battle. So the simple fact that the Bible, and you're going to see a lot of this in, in, in Titus, that there are many rebukes and commands about what we should and what we shouldn't do. And it's ample testimony to the fact that living with God in charge won't come easy. God, God is going to present things that he'll want you to do. And, and we live in a culture that's going to be anti that. And, and, and you'll be so influenced by what your culture says that when you'll see something, you might think, huh, that doesn't sound right. This sounds more comfortable. This sounds more right. And that's where you go. Well, if God's the one in authority and his word is true and I want uh, him to be the authoritative voice in my life then I'm going to trust what it says here even though it feels so weird against how I normally think and I'm going to trust that this is a good word and, and let this begin to change how I think and see my world because without this I will see it the way the world sees it that will feel comfortable and, and so it's Letting this become the louder voice that causes other voices to quiet down. And believe me, there are a lot of other voices. We can turn on the TV and we can hear Oprah, we can hear Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, and they'll say a lot of things that make sense and it can even be in line, in line with Scripture. But we always want to test it against Scripture. What does Scripture really say? Is it really only a half-truth? Is there more to what I'm, what I'm hearing? And, and so the more you get to know this the more you'll be able to discern what's coming at you. And, and if you seek what God has to say and, and take a stand on that, you'll begin to see yourself lining up, because it calls, God says in, in Romans 8, 28, that, or in actually 29, that we were predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Well, there's a lot that that, that does when you talk about the image of Christ. Christ loved God. He sought to serve him and worship. He hung on his word. He repeated his word. And so we want that to become evident in our own lives. And out of that, you will see fruit that, will, that is, was demonstrated by Christ become demonstrating in your own life. So, at the, like I said at the beginning, the Bible is dual in nature. So we just talked about it being a divine book. Let's talk about the Bible as a human book. And... So we hardly have to prove that this is also 
a human book, right? It, we, we see, like, you go to an epistle, and it tells you right away who it's written by. It's written by a man. And, and so that tells us that truly there is a man's work in this. And we know from the Peter passage where it talked about man spoke by God. Man spoke by the Holy Spirit from God. So men were used by the Holy Spirit to speak the words of God. So it's clearly a human document. So being a human document, on one hand, we're given personal information about authors, their involvement, um, why they're writing. We, we find out that they even give us logistical information. For example, in 2 Timothy 4.13, you'll hear Paul say, When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also the books and above all the parchments. So Paul's giving a little bit of instruction. And, and you're thinking, well, I could just skip over that, right? Because that has nothing to do with me. That's, that's, that's what we tend to want to do. But don't do that. Because God will use these things within a book. As you go to study a book, you're going to see how that can actually speak into your own present situation. And um, there's a thing that you can kind of keep in the back of your mind. It's called historical particularity. And what I mean by that is that the Bible was written by a particular person or people at a particular time in a particular place for a particular reason. So particular people, particular time, particular place, a particular reason. And all of that plays out in as you unfold a letter of the book is what we're going to do. We're going to do the book of Titus, and that's a letter. And so you're going to see how all of those play a factor. So the Bible, being a human document, does not overturn what was said earlier about God speaking to us in the Bible. That is still true. But the way that God speaks to us is through human authors. They weren't mindless robots writing as God dictated from above. Rather, God worked through them as people, preserving their personality, their literary style, culture, and yet at the same time guiding them by his spirit so that they always wrote his eternal truth. And we see the relationship between these authors and God and those they encounter through the words that God had them write. These interactions are means by which God uses to inform us about ourselves, about himself, and about how we should live in the kingdom of God. And so as you begin to see how all of these fit together, as you unpack a letter, it, it'll, you'll come to find that those little logistic information actually are things that, that help you to see people in their interactions and how they're doing, dealing with things and, and maybe what kind of attitude is being presented and what kind of attitude do I have? That would have been me. And, and so all of these will begin to help shape your thinking and how God responds, and it, it, it'll be fun. You'll, you'll like that. And um, so, th- so these interactions are meant for God to inform us about himself and how to live. And it's amazing that what took place years ago, God would use today to help us see him for who he is, and to give us guidance and direction for our lives. God's ways are so incredibly deep and powerful that to analyze him is to say he could be put in a box and be picked apart. But God don't fit in a box, and he can't be picked apart. So there's no analyzing God. It's just us standing in awe of amazement that a, a God that created all things and is as powerful as he would want to be known.
would want to reveal himself to us. And, and so we go to his word to see his glory, to see who he is, and let that impact our hearts and our minds. So with these realities in mind, how do we approach scripture is crucial. So we, we approach scripture with a humble, prayerful, and respectful attitude. Because God wrote this. And so we don't want to come arrogantly. We don't want to come judging God's word. Being the one that decides what's right and what's wrong of God's word. No, we, we humble ourselves and we ask the creator of all things who spoke this word to teach us. And we approach it with anticipation, knowing that God's Holy Spirit will bring understanding and it will accomplish all of God's intended purposes. So we come expectantly. God, do something. Open my eyes. Help me to see. I, I want to know what this book is about. I want it to inform my life. I want it to change my heart so that I love you more and that I love the world less. You know, we, we come asking God to do a work and we expect that God will. And we approach it with faith, with, with belief that, that God really is speaking and that this really is truth. That's, that's, a, that's faith. That, that this, this is a reality that, that is in our grips and we can know God. So we come with that kind of approach. And this, what we're doing today is just a foundation on which to build on the idea of studying God's words, to feel a passion um, within you to, to desire it and to want to, to know God and to think that this amazing God wrote words down for us to know. It's, it's, it's really amazing. And so through this study, we will learn principles that will help guide us in our unpacking of the scriptures and, that the, and the truth that is found in them. And we will use these tools that you're going to learn throughout these next couple of weeks to ask questions of the text to discover not only the meaning of what's in there, but also of the words and the phrases to unpack what is within that book. So our hope is, in this study, to equip you with principles and with tools. Now, I want you to know from the very beginning that you're not going to remember all the tools. You're not going to probably remember all the principles. But if you walk away with one or two principles that kind of comes to mind when you go to read the book, the Bible, that's going to serve you every time. If you walk away with a few tools in your toolbox that you don't have now, and, and you begin to use that when you're just doing your own personal study, and you begin to think, oh, I should, I should see who, who wrote this. That, that's a simple tool. And, and maybe you'll, and, and some of you already know that. And you'll add different tools. Or, and, and so just know that if you've walked away with a few tools and a few principles, and you've gained, and you know more about Titus than what, how you, what you do now, this study has been a success. And, and we have to fight against the temptation to compare ourselves with, with the other ladies in our group. You know, you might have a lady who's done inductive study for years and years and will be able to just rattle off all of this information, and you'll be like, I just barely found the book. The book. <laughs> you, you, you know, and you'll feel like, and you, you'll feel like you want to just not say anything. But, but know that we're all at different levels. And so the person that's well-versed, learn from them. Glean from what their study is. And, and persevere to, to try to find things on your own. And, 
And when you hear it repeated by somebody else, you can be like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm getting something. And, and so persevere and where you're at and strive to do just a little bit more. And so don't get overwhelmed when you start to look at the study and you think, oh, my gosh. No, we're, we're going to take it one step at a time. And then when you'll look back at it and you'll think, oh, wow, this, this, this actually worked. <laughs> well, Lord willing, no, it will. Um, and so we're going to start with the very first um, tool, and it is called doing a word search. So I'm going to turn this off.